Hey everyone, welcome back to the FPL script. This is season two, episode nine for the FPL 23-24 season and our game week eight preview. Uh, I'm your co-host FPL Fran, uh, otherwise just known as Fran on Twitter and other platforms. In terms of my quick recap was that honestly, it was a pretty bad week. Ultimately another red arrow. Obviously I was very lucky at the start, so feels like things are balancing out now. Uh, got a Sterling auto sub and no S2P, unfortunately, which was the, the nice little thing of this week. And then got some calls right in terms of keeping Saliba and Saka um, just because they had traveled and it seemed quite logical that they would play as well. Uh, however, I think generally probably an error on my part to to not go for Taylor to Morris and, and actually go for a dead end because the result was I actually ended up pressing the wild card button and ultimately that would have netted me a lot more points. I'm not saying I would have captained Morris. I think absolutely not. I think I would have gone Holland anyways. So it wasn't a huge difference, probably six points maximum. Um, but it is what it is, and yeah, another red this week. Yeah, welcome everyone to the pod. Uh, I'm JD, your other co-host. I'm at the Rich Harden Fraudist on X. Uh, I always used to say on Twitter. So I, I had a, a, not a bad game week, but I had a mid-game week, we could say. I had a tiny red arrow, and I'm finally one point above Fran now. So I hope that continues. But that I hope that continues in the sense that both of us keep doing well, not that both of us. Uh, keep going down in the ranks. I, I had Saliba as well. Uh, he was on autosub for Botman, so good thing he was first on my bench. And Estupinian was third on my bench, so both Fran and I really were happy that Estupinian scored minus two, which meant that a lot of Botman autosubs were jubilantly celebrated, if I'm being honest. So other than that, nothing to mention uh, this week. I think Saka giving away two penalties probably is is the worst thing that has happened to my FPL team in a long time. But also, it's okay. I mean, he scored a goal, he got a bonus point. It is what it is. We will look at his situation injury-wise and see if we need to transfer him out. Yeah, makes sense. I think you also wanted to maybe touch on a little topic that you actually found oh, quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was I was actually talking to Fran about this midweek and I found two very interesting things that are not alarming, I would say, but could be an issue in the future or maybe not. It depends on how things pan out. But first thing is with Flecken versus Strakosha. We all know that Strakosha was a Serie A starting goalkeeper and he is currently a second goalkeeper to Mark Flecken for Brentford. And the thing is, Flecken has been performing terribly when it comes to post shot XG or XG on target. And so at Strakosha in his uh, last full season in Serie A has performed, I think, just above uh, the expected performance for a uh, shot-stopping metric. So it, that just makes me wonder how long is it going to take for Thomas Frank to give Strakosha a chance. I guess it depends on if he can play out from the back and all the other things that uh, are demanded of a Brentford goalkeeper because Raya was pretty good at, uh, I think, everything, all aspects of goalkeeping. So those are some pretty big gloves to fill anyway. And so we have to await, and this is, I think, primarily interesting for uh, two reasons, because Brentford have a double game week in game week 20, possibly, uh, still not confirmed. And the second reason is that uh, there's a blank game week as well. So why, if you're planning through all of that, you know, something to consider. If you could possibly go Johnston or someone else, but there's not much to worry about right now, I would say. And then the second thing that I noticed was, uh, is Brighton's style of play responsible for poor PSXG for their goalkeepers? And although there is not a lot of evidence right now, I suspect we will 
continue to gather more and more evidence and someday we, we might be able to prove that that is the case because Sanchez was a terrible shot stopper when he was at Brighton and now in a small, small sample size at Chelsea he's been more than five in the PSX geometry whereas Verbruggen and Steele have been extremely bad in PSX so if we see more evidence of this then it simply would lead me to conclude that Brighton's style of play is somehow leading their goalkeepers to concede uh, or uh, generate more PSXG against them. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I guess even if we continue to see that trend, they're arguably an even worse defense than we think that they are, uh, potentially. Yeah, that's um, a good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to sort of track that as an interesting yeah, topic going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we can actually move on to the main topic of this pod, which is obviously Game Week 8 wildcard. As my friend Farhan said, he has already pressed the button on the wildcard and he has been cooking up a lot of drafts. Uh, I recently found out that saying cooking is apparently not in style anymore, but uh, it just feels <laughs> apropos right now. So yeah, Fran, take us away. Why are you wildcarding in Game Week 8? I think it comes down to obviously just a reaction to seeing the general trend of my team from sort of like a team value perspective and then thinking that to sort of navigate this sort of up upcoming landscape that Salah is indeed essential. So part of that too is sort of looking at Salah once again. Um, so far, he's been incredible. It kind of touches on, on the topic that we mentioned last week as well, where, you know, despite let's say being a little bit down when it comes to NPXG, for example, that his insane change in xa makes him effectively probably a better fantasy asset and that made me even more confident that i'd be captaining salah for all of these kind of uh fixtures and game weeks ahead which meant that yeah i would need to invest into a Salah structure and then also just me sort of being impinged from a transfer point of view obviously i went gusto to dalla which meant that my rolling team would be fantastic from a defensive point of view but the midfield um, still pretty lackluster. I think I really wanted to move off of, first of all, Rashford and Fernandes, whilst also maintaining Haaland was sort of the initial idea. But I, I have also come and, and become open as well to, to looking at Haaland-less drafts. Um, but before we touch on that, yeah, just in general price pressure from, let's say, Rashford Fernandes, who will probably fall this week, uh, and Bumo, who might suffer another fall, but probably also stay where he is, just because there are other injuries within that sort of price point and position. And then... Yeah, in general, wanting to move towards double Spurs mids uh, to catch, for example, the, the fixture run of Luton and also, for example, even, for example, a chance at Sun captaincy as well, which I probably would have done, been able to do if I went Saka to Sun, but I'd also have to be dealing with um, you know Sterling and the, and the Manchester United mids, which is okay. But personally, I was seeing future price drops again for these picks. And yeah, I, I decided to pull the trigger on Saturday and capture the price rises, mostly because when I ran a lot of solves, for wildcard 8 and wildcard 10, um, I, I noticed that the EV wasn't too different uh, compared to in previous weeks. And part of that too was because I started to also add a little bit of ITB or in the bank in, in the solver for my future wildcards, just expecting that, you know, I, I would be tanking future price falls as well, right? Because this week, I think I've captured maybe four price rises and avoided four price falls. And yeah, I mean, it's very obvious that I would have con continued to, let's say, you know, lose team value, which would mean my future wildcards would not look as promising as they once did, right? So 
that was the idea of why I pressed the wild card. And as I said, I, I felt a little bit more pressure as someone with one free transfer left. And that transfer was forced. It was going to be Saka to Sun, something like that, just to capture the captaincy. So that's why wild card. Yeah. Sorry, just before we continue with uh, the draft that you have for us on the spot, would it be fair to say that the catalyst for this was also the Gusto red card because that effectively set you back one transfer? And also the price volatility this season, which I, I don't know, every season it seems like it's bad. But this season it seems to be particularly worse because I think there's a lot more people in the know. And which is why, for example, someone like Matty Cash or even DRB, even if they are not scoring points week in, week out, I know they are, but there have been a few weeks where they have blanked as well. People are still continuing to buy them because they know that good game weeks are right around the corner. Yeah, I agree. I think, let's be honest, we, I mean, the template or the crowd, at least the engaged crowd owns a lot of picks that have not done well and they've underperformed simply, right? Like Rashford, Fernandes being key examples. So I think it's it's usually the case that, I mean, if we, let's say, take the logic that we, we hopefully would make better picks than, let's say, a, a less engaged crowd, that we probably mm. would also be picking picks that would get price rises, right? But in reality, yeah. this season, I've, I've actually been very fortunate to get price rises but I can see a lot of engaged managers actually tanking and hemorrhaging a lot in terms of team value because simply the picks that we started off with in game week one have not done well and we haven't utilized enough transfers, I suppose, to um, capture these people who have subsequently done just as well as the picks that we we picked. So for example, let's say your sons, your Madisons have, have obviously risen a lot and, and maybe we've also captured some rises in terms of Newcastle defense, but at the same time, we've also been suffering from a lot of defender injuries that we've had to address, I think, as the engaged crowd, which is also why, for example, like a whole like Colwell 12 points is pretty depressing to a lot of us who actually started with double Chelsea defense at one point, right? So yeah. that's sort of how I feel about like, you know, a, a lot of this is just affected by outcome and probably it's just the case because we've had such a bad start. It inevitably we, we've picked players that haven't performed and therefore, you know, a, a casual crowd is very happy to jump off of. And that's why the price volatility feels as, as it does, I suppose. Um, and yeah, and, and you're right. Obviously, it is this wildcard is very much motivated by that. But also, I think the fact that, as I said, I, I, I did feel like whether I was going to wildcard or eight or 10, I would probably be creating a Salah plus Holland structure. And I don't think that specifically because you are going towards quite a rigid structure within Salah plus Holland that it, would, it wouldn't be too dissimilar between eight and 10. Now, obviously recognize that, for example, just looking two weeks back, a game week six wild card could already have been kaput by, by today because there's so many injuries already, like as a, um, and a multitude yeah, of others. Exactly, exactly. So. Yeah. So I, I take the point that, for example, my wildcard will probably be very dis dissimilar to Gaming 10, but I think structurally in terms of the two premium picks, I, I'd hope it'd be, it would be the same, which was sort of my thinking behind that. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, and which is why you are not alone. Uh, ultimately, there are millions of managers, I think, who are going to be uh, pressing the wildcard button. So if you move on to the first kind of draft that you have for us, which is Salah plus Holland, can take us through what do you think are the possible reasons to go for it and maybe some of the pitfalls that pe that is the reason why people are going for holland list drafts yeah i mean i think first of all i have a very very particular draft and i, I can understand a lot of people will have no interest in it whatsoever but obviously the idea here is once again very very deep bench uh which consists of five defenders basically and archer and this sort of value makes me feel quite comfortable in terms of actually having a bit of rotation within the team. But as you can see, obviously I have Gordon within the draft who is clearly suspended. 
Um, but fortunately suspended as well for his bad fixture, which means he comes back on a good fixture on, excuse me, on paper for Crystal Palace at home. And he is going to be a punt. Like he is, you know, technically a grassy pick for me. Someone who definitely is, is looking better on market and so far has good underlying stats um, and is playing for a good team with good prospective minutes, right? Because of the Barnes injury. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I've gone for, for Gordon that position as opposed to, let's say, someone like Neto. But the core, I think, of this draft is very similar. Like a lot of Holland and Salah drafts will have a midfield structure of something like Salah, Madison, Son, uh, and Bumo, which I think is, is very template because ultimately with the Diaby injury, you're also not really spoiled for choice, plus the SA injury as well. So that's the midfield. In terms of my defense, I'm going with Cash, Colwell, Dallow, Byrne, Pedro, Poro. Now, Colwell will obviously stick out like a sore thumb to a lot of people, but I think the, the reality is we've seen that Chelsea's baselines look very good on review. In fact, I think review probably rates Chelsea defense a touch higher than market. Um, on top of that, ultimately, what, what Colwell's job for this draft is, is actually just to play in this 4-4-2 structure when Gordon is benched, and he has a good fixture to do that versus Burnley, Burnley being the second lowest team in terms of XG created so far. Uh, Dallow, obviously... Look, this is uh, a pick where I'm just backing the fixtures for United. I do see still the value of the fixtures there. Uh, obviously, the gala result wasn't the best, but you you, know, you just move on. There's Luton, Sheffield United, Fulham on the calendar. It is what it is. Um, Burn as well, who have captured a price rise for, and Pedro Porro, who have moved Udogi on for just because I have a little bit more money in the bank. And ultimately, he has better underlying stats has played the last six games, has only been rested around 10 minutes over those last six games after being benched in game week one. So sort of taking a little bit of upside there and knowing also that if it doesn't work out with Pedro Porro, that he can be a transfer towards an Arsenal defender um, in two weeks' time in game week 10. And then also Cash, of course, who I think is extremely template. Probably the, the, the easiest lock in terms of any defender transfer yeah. just because the overall mm. run is so good. And then Raya Areola, I think once again, a little bit of a divergent choice. Clearly a little bit of an X-Men's adjustment from me. I'm expecting that Ramsdale continues to be benched. But also knowing the fact that the punt on Raya is quite nice because um, Areola is someone who I, I don't see at all losing his position, right? Because he's performed incredibly well so far and has been one of the best shot stoppers so far too. So on that basis, yeah, taking a punt with Raya. Also because I think when you look at Saliba and White being probably the best and most nailed Arsenal options, they're so expensive and players that I don't really want to go into right now. Whereas Gabriel and Sinchenko with Partey back, their position uh, and their X-Men's is something that I, I, I'm not so sure of. Because I think I, I have to sort of look back and with hindsight and be honest that I was not expecting Gabriel benches. And I'm not exactly sure what will happen going forward. So it might be the case that Sinchenko and Gabriel will lose some minutes here and there within the Premier League. Maybe not. But I, I don't want to take that chance when I have really nailed players here in this team. And then three, in the three-five-two structure, obviously... Accompanying um, Archer, I'm going with Alvarez and Holland, and the reason why I've gone for Alvarez and Holland is simply because I have money tied into Alvarez, so you'll see that I actually own him at 6.8 as opposed to what the crowd would, which would probably be 6.9 or 7.0. So there's a little bit of sort of efficiency there, I suppose, from his um, value, and I think his minutes are look pretty good. He got the rest in the Champions League. Now, obviously, all the players are back, but I think he is effectively one of the leading players of this team and, and, and should deserve to start most games. So I'm very happy to own Alvarez. And, and I see Alvarez as, as an option to own really for the rest of the season, depending on obviously how I navigate uh, the blank game week. But Holland as well, just because I'm going for Holland structure. And I think the, the biggest debate in terms of Holland is, is, of course, how you actually perceive Holland as a pick going forward, is how many points you're estimating for him. Because as far as I can see with other models that they are much more confident on Holland than, let's say, review, 
which is why obviously a lot of people are starting to see, you know, quote unquote, optimal drafts that are Haaland-less uh, ultimately. Yeah. But, so uh, what, one thing to confirm here is how much do you have in the bank with this draft? So on this draft, I actually have 0 0.7 in the bank. And the logic for me was I want to go Madison to Saka in one move. Ah, okay. Fair. Makes sense. And also, you can always have contingencies for if someone like DRB comes back, right? So you can go from yeah. Elbow mode to someone like DRB. Yeah. And you just need that one slot for a midfielder of that price bracket so that you can move them on and off. Quite yeah, effective. even as they will probably come back at one point and, and I can move yeah. in there as well, you know, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think Colville is the one thing that I don't know what I would do if I were in your position, but because you've thought so deeply about this and I have it because obviously I'm not wildcarding, I can't really say as to what, what would be the alternative, but looking at the fact that you have some money in the bank as well, maybe if someone doesn't want to invest in the Chelsea defense, you can just uh, change Colville and upgrade him to someone like uh, Zinchenko maybe or Gabriel, whoever fits the budget. But one thing is obviously if you have double Arsenal defence, that locks you out of getting Odegaard and Saka later on. So exactly, that is yeah. another consideration. Yeah. And with Raya, I am on fully on board with what you're saying. Uh, if there is a risk to be taken, I would rather take it in that position because you know that Areola is going to play every single game. So worst come worst, what will happen is you'll play Areola every single game, which is... Yeah. Not the best thing, but it is not bad as well. It's okay. It's certainly better than playing Pickford anyway. So whatever experience you're going to have after game week 8 is going to be a good experience, right? So from that sense as well, it seems there is no issue with, with going with this sort of a structure. But would you ever suggest anyone to go for Allison? Let's say if they had a higher TV than you or if they made some other compromise. Let's say you go from Archer to Mubama. And you make some other, you know, small changes that lead you to having that much money that you can go from, let's say, Raya to Alisson. Would you, would you suggest that? Not on this draft structure, but I think if you're going Haalandless, like absolutely consider Alisson because, you know, okay. you don't even have to deal with the doubt of like Raya being nailed or not. Alisson's yeah. a fantastic pick um, to go for if you're going Haalandless. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I think we can discuss the second pick or the second draft that we have and... We can also talk about which one year you you are leaning towards right now. Uh, yeah. with, so the second draft is the Hollandless draft. So what do you have for us there? Yeah, so I mean, the second draft structure I have is a Hollandless structure, which also uh, includes Alvarez, but obviously Holland is replaced by Watkins in the structure. Archer comes mm. in, um, you know, Sun, Madison, Salah, the same sort of picks over there. Fernandez and Mbumo. So obviously now you keep another United player. And Mbumo I'm keeping as well just because of the injuries and no one else to really pick at this moment in time. Um, Trent as well within the team. Uh, but it can also be Robertson and Trippier. I, I have to add that. You, you, I think you either choose to pick Trent and then have four other f uh, defenders or you, you choose to go Robertson Trippier, which yeah. might be a little bit more appealing yeah. to people. And then because I'm going Trent, um, Taylor, Zinchenko, Dallo, and also Pedro Porro with, once again, the same keepers, Raya Areola. In this structure, I would say, look, the, the key thing, obviously, is you get that four-piece midfield, which is going to be very different to the Haaland structure. And, of course, you have the capacity to go one or two, you know, fully premium defenders, I would like to say, because, you know, price notwithstanding i mean trippier is probably at the same level as trent to be honest like if they had equivalent yeah. fixtures you'd probably see the same ev for the two of them but the reality is now you can actually compensate for the lack of holland with good trend fixtures and ultimately you can also as i said own trippier if you go robertson as well so 
that's uh, the draft structure. I think what's nice, obviously, is if you believe that, that you're only going to, let's say, in theory, let's say Captain Holland once, which would probably be the very clear Bournemouth at home game, um, and you, you potentially see, for example, Salah captaincies in all the other weeks or, or Sun captaincies, uh, then actually there's, I suppose, less of an argument to go for Holland. And, and so therefore you, you go with this Holland the structure instead. And I think the appeal as well is, once again, these fullbacks, like we have seen obviously some absolutely miraculous holes. Trippier got another assist in the PSG game. There is going to be some upside there. And, and really it's just about on balance. Do you think you can match Holland, which is you know, very possible as well. Um, and yeah, I think it also just depends ultimately on what, what sort of model you trust. Because I've actually run these sorts of teams and, and this sort of general structure, this 3-5-2 with Haaland um, and Salah versus, let's say, a pure Haalandless draft and the gulf in terms of EV between like, let's say, 100% market versus, I don't know, review, for example, was literally 13 EV both ways. So you can see... Mm-hmm how distinctly Haaland is viewed between these two models. I've looked at some other competing models as well, and Haalandless is also much highly rated compared to the way Review sort of perceives Haaland right now. So I think for that reason, a lot of what you're weighing up is, is there a benefit to go and and get the free risk that you can see on Review right now? Or do you also think that it's worth maybe taking a little bit of an ensemble approach, also thinking about the effective ownership, I suppose, of Holland as well. And, and yeah, ultimately, it's what source do you trust um, to, to back over this run, I think, because it's going to be a huge swing both ways. It's This is a 92% owned player, and some people will still captain him a lot, and you'll, you'll be going without him. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just discuss a couple of points within the two wild cards. So, first of all, I think all all of us can agree that Morgan Gibbs White is really dead as an asset just because of yeah. his tactical benching against um, Brentford, and because it's so uncertain, we would not be well advised to go for him anyway. Yeah. And so I think that's why even though Gordon is suspended, he is at least you know that he is part of the first choice eleven. There is a chance that he would be part of an odd benching, but at least he's part of the first 11. Whereas with Morgan Gibbs-White, you don't know that anymore. And if that's the case, then there's no use of going for that, especially if you are on the Holland draft, because if the Holland-Sala draft is going to be very rigid, and that is going to leave you with much less avenues to go on, uh, go to certain players from certain other players. So if that's the case, we also need to consider maybe someone like, I don't know, Douglas Luiz or Neto, who don't have terrible EV, but also you know when you play them that you're not really expecting much from someone like Douglas Luiz unless he gets a penalty. But with Neto, you know, there is a reason to maybe expect uh, more from him because he has been showing decent uh, underlines. They're not great, but they're also not that bad. Uh, so there's a reason to maybe go for him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's just, you know, touching on, for example, players like Mubama, Taylor Lamptey. I mean, yeah, you're never going to spend a chance on these players. So you should obviously yeah. think that this wild card, if you're wild carding this week, is going to last you at least, you know, 12, 13 more weeks. So it does really matter how much um, sort of importance you, you place in these depth players. And I think this week is such a good example with, um, I'm not saying SDPN was a bad pick at all this week, not at all. But for example, even getting to play Archer over SDPN probably would have made sense on EV and, and you would have been protected mm. like so. And ultimately, you just want as many depth pieces as possible because as you say, this season, I mean, injuries are everywhere. I don't necessarily know why so much, but 
um, it is the case. And yeah, I think in terms of the draft wise as well, another topic that I think is quite hot is obviously the forward position if you let's say maintain a Holland structure because if you go Salah Holland I think Watkins is is very hard to sort of afford and usually what happens mm. is it means that for example with my draft with with Alvarez you saw that I didn't go for Taylor because I obviously went for Alvarez however that sort of cost saving could actually get you Watkins in your team right so mm. that's something to think about too um as well and I think the most important thing to do when you're sort of running solves is to sort of understand relationships between each other so I told you about Colwell right his relationship is that he covers Gordon and also mm. Colwell actually has a good fixture on gaming 10 which is also a bad fixture for example on paper for for example Dallow right so if you own Dallow in your draft that could be interesting yeah. things like that yeah. as well um another thing too in terms of relationships is you you need to think about the importance once again of sort of these Arsenal defenders and whether you actually want to leave space to get let's say Odegaard and Saka because conceptually in my head I think a lot of the souls that I've run have included Madison and Son just because I yeah. like the the idea of just doing a two free transfer in gaming 10 if there were no issues in my team to go Madison and Son towards Saka and Odegaard right cover the full pen share of Arsenal sort of capitalize on that Sheffield United at home game uh, and, and play with sort of that structure going forwards while still maintaining the Salah Haaland structure. So that's something in my mind. But I think keeping an open mind to what can change in the future and, and your expectations of players is, is very helpful as well in the wild card because what you're cooking up, you know, from an EV value perspective is not really going to mirror any of the outcomes going forwards and your transfers will probably drastically change from whatever setup you create today. But it's just about keeping your mind open. No, I completely get that. And also, while we are on the subject of Dallow having a bad game week 10, I think every game week right now is pretty bad for United, which is depressing as a Manchester United fan. But also, a lot of people want to get rid of United assets. I mean, one of the reasons they are wildcarding is to get rid of United assets. What is your stance on maybe going with someone like Fernandes for, let's say, the next couple of weeks? Because United still have Sheffield, Luton and a lot of tasty fixtures, I would say, left. Look, I mean, I, I think, as I said, you'd probably want to keep one of the midfielders if you're, let's say, not going with Holland. But the weird mm. thing about, let's say, going Holland less is you're actually almost dipping back into the players that you would have technically wanted to wildcard off of. Now, maybe you yeah. could see it as an opportunity to, let's say, um, pocket a bit of loose change, avoid the price falls, and still maintain players with very good EV. But I think also the reality is we have seen a bit of a worrying trend for United. Um, you can see obviously their points expectations dropping. You can see also the baselines of the players dropping as well. So I feel like just from a point of view of, let's say, looking at the trend, and obviously a question needs to be asked of, of how reactive we are as managers, but I think we've all been pretty patient with United so far. I, I just intuitively don't think I can I can go into, let's say, wildcard eight and just bring back three United players. I'm happy to own one or two. Um, that's probably as far as I'll actually go. But I've also seen Souls, for example, that effectively brings back my Game Week 8 team with just Sal and Holland inside, which is just going to have, you know, Fernandez and Rashford within the team. Um, I don't think I can do that myself. So it's tough. And also another thing to probably think about as well is... Um, yeah, I mean, that that sort of price spot is, is probably just going to be a placeholder for Saka. So, yeah, well, whilst, you know, it, it feels bad to maybe own a Man United midfielder, but if you're, if you're you know, convinced that you're going Haalandless, it, it's totally fine to just see Fernandes as, for example, a placeholder for Saka at the same time. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Uh, I would also suggest that, especially for people that are not wildcarding and we'll get to that segment 
at the end of the podcast towards the end of the podcast i think it makes sense to just keep hold of them because i know people keep talking about sun cost fallacy and all that but with united clearly good fixtures fernandes is still very much involved in in the game he is involved in every single game you can draw conclusions on rashford based on him playing well when he's, he is red hot in form let's say he does seem to be more of a confidence player than uh, maybe someone like fernandes who just is an iron man he plays every single game he plays every single game to 90 minutes there is no chance of an early sub he takes majority of the free kicks set pieces takes penalties there is every reason to keep hold of fernandes as you said and with the defense look there are a lot of options that can cover your ev but with so many injuries to united there won't be a chance to own someone like dalo in the future where you can just bank on that one full back from united for so many game weeks in a row i know that the injuries themselves also have made united a weaker team but there are some clean sheets that will come by and that is just a consequence of expected value and expected clean sheets i know that variance might cause one or two of them to not come through but there are some clean sheets that that are there for the taking so if you believe in that then i would definitely urge you to go with someone like dalo as fran has and speaking of also the two the midfield spot that we were talking about for mbomo what is your interpretation of how things have gone for mbomo and also would you consider bringing in someone like richardson in space for the white That's a good point. I think I think just looking at Richarlison like obviously there's some value there but I find it very hard to actually guess his minutes. Now the landscape is such that Mano Solomon is out injured for I believe 2 to 3 months and also Brennan Johnson is still recovering from his injury and has I think rejected a call up from the Wales national team. So this hmm. obviously gives Richarlison the landscape to have effectively maybe 80 to 85 minutes versus Luton which is fantastic. I think he might even slip into territories where he could be a captain part, uh, depending on let's say how you interpret son's minutes but i think what concerns me the most with richarlison really is you know when he comes back from international duty there there could be a high chance once again that he's benched um for brendan johnson for example brendan johnson's fit and and has obviously been training at the spurs ground and then uh that makes richarlison sort of a redundant pick or obviously you just see him as a one week punt but another thing to sort of add on top of that is i think when you look at review and you look at the expected minutes for yudogi and pedro porro you'll notice that it's actually quite low but in reality i think the the last few weeks uh, we've seen more than 85 minutes for poro every week with exception to game week 1 and then with yudogi as well effectively he doesn't really come off before let's say 84 85 minutes so if you do let's say tick that up and he, and a lot of them have also completed 89 to 90 minutes at the bare minimum so when you sort of take that into account and maybe also increase their expected minutes i actually don't see richarlison really as a solve option at all I think he's too cute of an option and ultimately we can always downgrade or even let's say move away from someone like Ambumo but touching back on Ambumo I don't see the reason really to move off of him there's no player in this price point who even comes close to him in terms of EV particularly on review and mm. I think it simply comes down to penalties he probably could have even got a penalty in the previous match and yes yeah. obviously when you're watching him play in recent matches it's very hard to watch but you know that he can still get penalties and e- even still like you know this, uh, in spite of all this he still averaged like i think something like 0.3 to 0.4 npxg i um over the last three fixtures which have been horrible for him so considering that you know he had a blistering hot start i think a lot of people just have 
you know, way too lofty expectations yeah. for him. But I, I've also, I, I can also recognize that, for example, I think Chase put out a graphic in terms of offensive schedule difficulty and Brentford are bottom three. So he is one of those assets, once again, where he looks like a season keeper and you probably have to interpret him as such to keep him in your draft. But also because Diaby's out and Eze is out, um, I see him just as a placeholder. Like, why not just play him until game week nine, get that Burnley at home fixture, and then you can cash out effectively toward Diaby in game week 10 if you, if you want to do so. And you're, you know, sick and tired of owning Mbumo. But for now, I think it's very hard to reject him and it's probably, yeah, like suboptimal play, I would say. Yeah, and also, as we've discussed um, in the pod already, it enables you to also keep that midfielder slot that you can then use to move on to someone like Diaby once he's backfit if you choose to do so. So that just enables you to keep that structure rather than because uh, funnily enough, I, I think that because we've had injuries to so many mid-priced midfielders, I think that that is pushing more and more people to Hollandless drafts because you don't really have alternatives. You have yeah. to go up to that 8.5, 9, 9.5 million price brackets now, which is automatically forcing you to go for a draft without Holland. Whereas other before, you clearly could go with even all three of Mbomo, Eze and Diaby. And that was actually a great option to uh, consider with Holland and Salah in the team. So funnily enough, all these injuries are kind of forcing people to go without Holland and we all know what happens when you, when you do that. So I would just urge caution <laughs> for that. And moving on to an infinitely less exciting topic, which is I'm going to try and explain why you should not wild card. And it's going to be a shorter segment because I can see a lot of reasons why people are wildcarding. And this is only for people who are maybe in a similar situation like I am, where, for example, if you have two free transfers, uh, your team is not has not been decimated by injuries. I don't see how that would be the case. My team has been, for example, but it's not to the point where I have to take hits. I can still manage because I have a deep bench and... Uh, the most I would have to do is play Archer, which is not the end of the world. I recognize that Sheffield don't really have an attack, so he'll probably end up with two points, but that's besides the point. You can get by with playing 11 players in game week 8 and then game week 9, and then wildcard in game week 10, because my plan right now is to wildcard in game week 10, and one of the other reasons is I'm using these two weeks to dead end. Because what Fran mentioned at the top of the pod is that because he suddenly decided to wildcard, he couldn't really do that. And one of the biggest advantages of when you wildcard is that you start deadending towards a team where you can take more and more risks as you get closer to that wildcard. And that for me, for example, this week would ideally be bringing in Madison and Pedro Polo. And then next week would be bringing in any midfielder in place of Sterling. Because Sterling plays Arsenal and I simply have no interest in keeping hold of Sterling. Because also he might drop further in price and I don't want to bag hold uh, price drops for Sterling. So concerning all of that, there is a reason to consider waiting till wildcard game week 10. And I've also seen players who are still holding on to wildcard for game week 19. I can see why they are, do they are doing that. It's essentially not planning for a wildcard. But I also feel like the opportunity that wildcard 19 affords is going to be marred by so many price changes. The price changes, I feel, and we can easily prove that by uh, asking someone like Vero to give us the data from previous seasons, are at a historic high, I think, in terms of the frequency, the fluctuation of price rises and price drops that, is, that are happening. 
and in that case i would simply not want to wait for so long which is why i think i'm going to wild card in game week 10 but also i would say that let's say you because we are recording this podcast on a wednesday you if you think that oh i've missed a bunch of price rises and so even though my team is decimated i don't want to wild card i would urge you to think otherwise because again this is a classic case of sunk cost fallacy you think that you've already gone down this path and now you don't want to turn back but that's not the case if you run some solves on review or if you trust any other data source if you blend review data with market odds like i am for example right now because i i think reviews baselines are still a little bit volatile and uh, i think they are yet to settle down so if you do that and if you see that the expected value difference between a non wild card game we get and onwards and a wild card game we get and onwards is let's say 15 the the price drops and price rises simply don't matter what matters is how much expected value can you capture and that should be the only criteria when you are thinking about hitting the wild card button yeah makes sense i think let's just uh quickly move on to topic that doesn't really divide lines captaincy this week yeah. uh there are three exciting picks i think there's definitely going to be a debate this episode so in terms of review in priority with default minutes so it's sun sala madison uh and actually holland comes fourth but you can even mm. maybe let's say account for richarlison as well who could could find his way you know as i said uh, in the middle of the the podcast segment to sort of e- even be ahead of sun if you expect him to have more minutes but yeah i think sun if if he's fit and he's ready to play obviously keep in mind last week we already got news from angie that he was managing a knock and he had agreed to sort of come off at a specific time so you may think that there's a very high chance that sun will once again have his minutes managed again which probably limits you know the extent to which he's the most sort of ev positive captaincy but i still think even if you nerf his minutes a bit he's quite clearly the optimal captain um so long as he's you know confirmed to start and for other people obviously there's a little bit of a closer debate between let's say sala and madison if you don't have sun uh and holland actually falls quite short of all of these picks he's effectively at least 0.7 to 0.8 you know upwards of 1 plus ev versus sun as well so i don't know yeah. how you make of this Oh this is the week where I am clearly going against Holland captain I am thinking of Son captain obviously and I think you are as well but yeah. if Son is declared to not be fit and we know that he is not starting the day off because I think the Spurs kick off is the first game uh, Spurs versus Luton so there is a chance that we might get some uh, team news leaked and if that is the case then I would go for Madison because Holland has probably his worst game of the season and i see every reason to go against holland this week also because i believe that the field because most of the field uh, that we compete against believes in form holland hasn't been scoring a lot of goals as well and if there is a week that we think that and i might be completely off here but i think that there is a every chance that holland's effective ownership might not be as high as it would normally be if he were banging in the goals because again uh, city scored three goals against leipzig holland didn't contribute anything no goals no assists so for me of course that that means nothing but it does mean something for a lot of people and so if you are one of those people that always likes to mitigate risk i think that you would be less at a risk than you would normally be yeah that's fair i think um interestingly obviously because i have sala now in my team um mm. if son wasn't fit i'd probably actually captain sala just yes of course pen share would probably fall towards uh madison 
but it's still going to be a close call for me. So I, I think in that situation, I'd tempt myself with the Salah captaincy. Yeah, yeah. I would do that in your place. Anyway, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's all for this podcast. I think people will find something of value, especially with the gaming wildcard 8, because Fran is actually going through with it. So it's not just a case of if I were to, he's actually doing it. He yeah. has actually thought of it. He has been thinking of it every waking moment for the past couple of days. And so there is definitely value to be had uh, by listening to what he has provided us with in terms of insights. And yeah, have a good game week 8 and good luck. Good luck.